0: We have these false teachers all around us, and we're going to talk about a lot of them today. Um, and just to kind of echo a, a little bit of what Bill was saying earlier, I just want to explain that when we do catechisms, okay, again, a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. The actual earliest known catechism is called the Didact. It was written between 65 and 80 A.D., All right, the New Testament canon had not even been fully completed at that point. So the early church practiced catechisms. It is not a Catholic thing, all right? The Roman Catholic Church was not established until 313 officially. So you need to understand, a lot of times we just don't know, so we speak when we probably should be quiet. Amen? I'm included in that regard, okay? So my point is, understand that this was something the early church did very specifically to help teach the truths of Scripture. So because uh, keep in mind, in 65 to 80 AD, uh, the New Testament was just being uh, written. The, the authors of the New Testament, God had inspired these authors, but uh, many had not been uh, readily made available yet because, right, they hand wrote them. They didn't have a copy machine. All right. It took painstaking tasks for them to, to, to copy and to write manuscripts, which are copies of originals, in order for those to start to get into the, the average people's hands, which is uh, beautiful when you think about the fact that the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, which is the common Greek language. There were actually other uh, aspects of the Greek language, but but God intended for the Word of God to be read by everyday folks. It was never intended to be just uh, for a a select few uh, folks. So we see in Matthew 7 here, we've been walking through, and again, I I mentioned this last week, but read 5, 6, and 7 in its entirety sometime, and and I know it's it's not the easiest to do because we have the chapters and verse in here, but try to read them without just even looking at the chapters and verses to understand that this is a continual message that Jesus is delivering. Um, he didn't stop after each subheading that we have in our Bible and take a break. They were not in his original uh, sermon, the greatest sermon ever preached. This was one continual sermon. So these thoughts flow right in one into the other. They're not broken up. So we have to understand when Jesus, earlier we were talking about, um, prayer, and then he goes into areas of uh, giving and praying and anxiousness and, and how we are to look at others and judging others and we need to ask and seek and knock. And then he goes into the narrow road and then he flows right into this very next part. He says, beware of false prophets. So if you look at that in the context in which it is written, he goes from enter the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it, are, by, are, it by, are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life And those who find there are few." Beware of false prophets. He doesn't stop and even come back the next day, okay? I mean, he keeps going with this. So we have to be careful we don't take a part of Scripture and not understand it within its context, within its entirety. So Jesus here is very specifically going to address false teachers. We have lots of false teachers. We have those who, as he will call, are sheep's, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, many of you may or may not know, but back in uh, Germany between 1950 and 1990 was a group called uh, the Stasi. The Stasi were basically secret police. They were very similar to the KGB uh, in Russia. And what they were, though, is they were everyday civilians who were actually working as spies for the government to root out people who were against the communist government of East Germany. And they had over 250,000 people arrested and and many even tortured and, and persecuted beyond imagination. They were everyday folks who sat in with the people in the crowds, but they were wolves in sheep clothing. We have these same people today in churches, literally in cases, trying to proclaim partial truths in order to ultimately deceive us. So I'm gonna give you a, a couple of quotes to start off this morning, um, and then we're gonna define a couple things. But the first one is uh, a quote Vodi Bauckham, and he did a, a study called The Ever-Loving Truth that is uh, phenomenal. But he says this, truth is under attack in modern American culture. You agree with that? Everywhere, right? It's, I mean, we see it all across our news, right? You know, fake news, right? It's, it's, there's, there may be a shred of truth, but so much is false. Rare is the person who believes that there are facts that correspond with reality, true truths, and that those facts are true for all people in all places at all times. Common, however, is the man or woman who believes that all religions are the same. This is called religious relativism, that tolerance is the ultimate virtue and that there is no absolute truth, which we would call philosophical pluralism. Innocuous as these beliefs may seem, they are dangerous. They lead down a path filled with peril. If all religions are the same, then no religion is true. Moreover, we believe that there are no absolute truths, which, by the way, to say there are no absolute Is an absolute i'm just saying and all truths are equally valid this will ultimately lead us to nihilism wherein all ideas lose their value ultimately the only thing that will matter is who has sufficient power to exercise his or her will imagine that you woke up today and saw this hmm We might argue we are waking up today and seeing this. So now to kind of understand this more, I'm going to give you R.C. Sproul's definition of relativism. So religious relativism uh, is this belief that, well, all religions ultimately will get you to the same place. Religious relativism says this. Truth is what you perceive it to be, and what is true for you may be false for someone else. In our present society, you're perfectly free to believe whatever you like. But the one thing you may not do is to deny its antithesis. You can say, I believe that this is true, but you cannot say with impunity that that which opposes it is false. We have a whole generation of Christians who have been brainwashed by the spirit of relativism, so they're completely hesitant to say, I deny that error over there. We don't have heresy trials anymore because in relativism, there is no such thing as heresy. Well, Jesus says there are clear heretics and we need to know how to spot them. Randy Alcorn, speaking about philosophical pluralism, says this, all religions are basically the same. Question, Hinduism's gods are many and impersonal. Christianity's God is one and personal. Buddhism offers no forgiveness or divine intervention. Christianity offers forgiveness and divine interaction. God came to us. In Judaism and Islam, men earn righteous status before God through doing good works. In Christianity, men gain righteousness only by confessing their unrighteousness and being covered by Christ's merit. Every other religion is man working his way to God. Christianity is God working his way to men. So we live in this culture of religious relativism, philosophical pluralism, and they are being promoted by false prophets in so many cases in the church. So Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So the first thing we need to understand is how do we recognize these wolves? Well, one is a wolf refuses accountability and will not resist to the submission of authority. False teachers are deceptive wolves. You've heard of the lone wolf and that's what most of these false teachers are. They they get themselves into environments where they have no one who can get near them. That's why they're able to spread such lies. Notice in Acts 20, Paul is going to uh, make this point very clear. Pay attention, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he, being Christ, obtained with his own blood. This word overseers here is the exact same word for pastor, elder, overseer, exact same Greek word. There's no differenti- differentiation in this. Also, you will notice every single time in scripture, the word overseers, elders, pastors, it was written to have a plurality in this office. It was never to be a lone wolf because without accountability and brothers who are coming beside you, we are all easily swayed. Paul is writing this to the Ephesian elders who have gathered uh, to send him uh, off. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, notice he says, not may, he says, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away. Notice the disciples after them. They are going to draw away those professing Christians. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He has spent three years in Ephesus. Paul has poured his life into this early church. And Ephesus, if you study the culture, you could not get any crazier, okay? Take everything you can think of that's crazy and that was Ephesus, all right? It was just absolutely uh, a wretched, wretched place. And yet that's where he started this church. He raised these men. And then after uh, departing for a while, he comes back, meets with his elders. And they are just tearful, uh, knowing they will never see Paul again. But he is encouraging them that they need to be alert, to pay careful attention, and that they need to stay focused because there will be those from among them who will come in. Paul furthers speaking, uh, writing to Timothy. So this is his last letter. He writes to his beloved son in the faith. In chapter three of Second Timothy says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. All right, for starters, the last days we've been in since Pentecost. Since Christ himself was ascended in the book of Acts, it says we have been in the last days. And like we said last week, and we can say next week, We are one day closer, no doubt. We're closer than we were yesterday as to the return of Christ. He is coming back, but we are in, all have been in the last days for 2000 years. He says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, Rather than lovers of God. That could have been written today. Amen? Because God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And this was written 2000 years ago. And guess where Timothy just happens to be pastoring at? In Ephesus. Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus. And so when he encourages him and he is trying to pour into him, Paul understands because he had started that church and now many years have passed and as he is encouraging his young son in the faith to stand strong because all of this is not only happening then, it is continually happening now. He says, for all these people, he says, they will have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. And he says to avoid such people for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. "...burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men." Alistair Begg says, we are not simply a society in which we recognize the existence of and the differences between a variety of religious beliefs, but one in which we declare all such beliefs are to be equally valid. From that perspective, there is only one kind of heresy, namely to claim that one view is ultimately right, where others are wrong. In granting plausibility to everything, we may grant certainty to nothing. Tolerance has been embraced at the expense of truth, to allow that everyone and everything is right is to destroy the notion of truth itself. Jesus made it very clear. He is truth. His word is true. If anything you hear is contrary to God's word, then it must not be true. Amen? If God's word is true, and anything is contrary to it, then it must not be true. Now we live in this time where where it, it you know we have all of these uh, teachings and false teachings, and and everybody just wants to be like, well, well, God loves everybody, and and God doesn't you know uh, desire for this or that, and and we call it we can call it if you would the Oprahization of America, all right. If you go back in the last 20 years, you know that was the big thing Oprah had been. Uh, by the way, we're going to talk about uncomfortable people today, so I hope you got your big boy, big girl britches on and can handle this, okay? But Oprah is a false teacher. You have no business listening to this person. She is spewing lies from the pits of hell because she is leading people astray. I don't care what good she does, okay? The Bible tells us that Satan himself as an angel of light and his servants do as well because she is the one in, in recent years has talked about well god's on this mountaintop and and you have your way and i have my way but but ultimately whatever way you choose we all get to god no jesus is the way the truth the life no one comes to the father but by him amen hallelujah praise the lord let's go right Come on, if there's anything other than that, what are we doing? We're wasting our time and Jesus wasted his time because he didn't need to come and die for us if there are other ways, okay? There is only one way, one truth and it is absolute and we have it in front of us. Wolves look like sheep and talk like sheep. Wolves are deceptive but they bite like wolves. Now someone out there, maybe, I'm sure there's some crazy guy that has pet wolves. But anybody here have a pet wolf, right? Most people don't, you know, except for Houston and Nick, apparently. Most people don't have, you know, I mean, because wolves are what? By nature, they are predators. Uh, They are by nature, you know, inclined to seek, to prowl, and to ultimately destroy. That's what they are. Hebrews 5, the author of Hebrews says this, if you want a calmer service, come to 8 o'clock, right? Because by the second time, Daniel will tell you, by the second time, it's like, you know, you're rolling good. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. That's why we include catechisms, too. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What a great reminder. So um, about a decade ago, uh, there was uh, this uh, this Christian rapper. Right? His name was Shaolin, and... Um, uh, he, he's, uh, he's, he's a pastor. Uh, he preaches. He, uh, pastored a church in Philly for a number of years, but he wrote a song called False Teachers. And, uh, Troy's not here, so I, I'm not going to rap. Troy can rap. I can't rap, but I'm going to read this entire song to you because it's, it's, it's very fitting. He says, let me begin while there's still ink left in my pen. I'm set to contend for truth. You can bet will offend deception within the church. Man, who's letting them in? We talked about this years ago, let's address it again. And I ain't really trying to start beef, but some who claim to be part of the sheep got some sharp teeth. And cats get mean when you criticize them. But Jesus told us, Matthew seven sixteen, we can recognize them. And God forbid that for the love of some fans, I keep quiet and watch them die with their blood on my hands. So there's nothing left for me to do except to speak to you in the spirit of Jude 3 and 2 Peter 2. And I know that some will label me a Pharisee because today the only heresy is saying that there's heresy. I'll dare to be specific and drop some clarity on the popularity of the gospel of prosperity. Turn off TBN, that channel's overrated. The pastors speak bogus statements, financially motivated. It's kind of like a pyramid scheme. Visualize heretics criticizing the American dream. It's foul and deceitful, they're lying to people. Teaching that camel squeezed through the eye of a needle, ungodly and wicked. Ask yourself, how can they not be convicted? Treating Jesus like a lottery ticket and you're thinking they're not the dangerous type because some of their statements are right? That only proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. This teacher can't be believed without a cost. The lie is you can achieve a crown without a cross. And I hear it all the time when they speak on the block, even unbelievers are shocked how they're fleecing the flock. It should be obvious then, yet I'll explain why it's sin. It talks, it, peep the Bible, it's in First Timothy 6, 9 and 10. It talks about how the desire for riches has left many souls on fire in stitches, mired in ditches. Tell me who would teach you to pursue as a goal the very thing that the Bible says will ruin your soul. Yet they're encouraging the love of money. To make it worse, they're exporting this garbage into other countries. My heart breaks even now as I'm rhyming. You wanna know what all false teachers have in common? It's called selfism, the fastest growing religion. They just dress it up and call it Christian. Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God, money is. Jesus is not a means to an end. The gospel is he came to redeem us from sin. And that is the message forever I'll yell. If you're living your best life now, you're headed for hell. Thank you. Take her to lunch today. Put it on my account. But there's more. We had to get to the chorus. Joel Osteen is a false teacher. Creflo Dollar is a false teacher. Benny Hinn is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive you. T.D. Jakes is a false teacher. Joyce Meyer is a false teacher. Paula White, who our former president got all his spiritual advice from. I'm just saying, use your discernment. Let the Bible lead you. Fred Price is a false teacher. Kenneth Copeland is a false teacher. Robert Tilton is a false teacher. I know they're popular, but don't let them deceive you. Eddie Long is a false teacher. Juanita Bonham is a false teacher. Paul Krauss is a false teacher. Use your discernment. Let the Bible lead you. That's some good stuff. Amen. And um, man, Shaw's a great, humble guy too, believe me. It's not what you would expect by any stretch of the imagination. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about seven false teachers. Y'all ready? That's just the introduction. Y'all good? Seven false teachers. First is the heretic. The heretic is the most prominent and perhaps the most dangerous of false teachers. Uh, Peter warned against him in his second letter. Understand, Peter, in writing his second letter, he is uh, closing in on the time of his own death. When Peter writes about the the false prophets and teachers we're getting ready to read about, uh, Peter understands the pressure uh, that's all around him. Peter, in just a short matter of time, will himself face death and death by the cross. Peter himself will say it's not even, he is unworthy to even be crucified in the same manner in which his Lord and Savior is crucified. So he, historically, it's recorded, was asked to be crucified upside down. And even though it's not recorded in scripture, it is also historically recorded that that was after Peter witnessed his own wife being crucified. That was the threat that he faced, and yet look who he calls out. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, that's us today, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master, Jesus, who bought them. Meaning, if you are a child of God, you have been purchased with a price, you have been bought, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep the heretic is a person who teaches what blatantly contradicts essential teaching of the christian faith you cannot deny the deity the trinity you cannot deny the person and work of jesus christ and be saved you cannot this person is a gregarious figure a natural leader teaching just enough truth to mask his deadly error Yet in denying the faith and celebrating what is false, he leads his followers from the safety of orthodoxy to the peril of heresy. From the earth, from the church's earliest days, she has been afflicted by the heretic in various forms. And he continues his evil work today, sometimes by contradicting the truth and sometimes by adding to it. He may reframe the doctrine of the Trinity as Arius did in the third century. By the way, Arius stands up, denies the person and work of Jesus Christ as part of, that he is in fact part of the Godhead. He is God incarnate. So this, so this little unknown fella named Saint Nicholas, read your history books, gets up, walks across the room and smacks Arius because Saint Nicholas stood for the truth of the gospel. We need a few more people willing to do that it also can be reframed in groups such as oneness pentecostals today by the way just for free because i'm in a giving mood this morning one of the most popular songs on the christian radio to right now is being sung by a a young lady who is part of the united pentecostal church and it's a oneness pentecost which means they deny the fact that jesus is god did you hear what i just said they Deny the fact that Jesus is God. They believe that it's, that Jesus is a mode of God. And and Patrick would love to spend a few hours with you. He's got some cool videos too he can show you on modalism. That's what TD Jakes is, by the way. But there is, they are very, very deceptive. This song is having a, this song will probably be the number one song in the Christian uh, radio. She's not a true believer if she denies the Trinity. If Jesus isn't God, and yet you can put Jesus in any song. If you deny the fact that he is God, you cannot be saved. Many others will deny the virgin birth of the res- the virgin birth or the resurrection of Jesus. We have groups like Jehovah's Witness that alter God's finished work. Remember in the New World Translation they say in the beginning was the word and with- and the word was with God and the word was a God. They added a letter. It changed everything. Because Jesus is not God. To the Jehovah witness how about Mormons who proclaim that that Jesus is in fact brother of Satan look in their doctrines don't just fall for this nonsense because it's what you you study it it's not complicated nam's got a great resource nam.net you can trace all of these cults and false teachings Bethel Church is heretical which means Bethel music you are supporting heretics. If you're comfortable supporting people who send people to hell, pat yourself on the back. If you don't like this word, then stop it. It's just like you tell your kids when they do do things you shouldn't do. Just stop it. It's not complicated. No one's forcing you to do this. But when we support and we do studies or listen to music that has false teaching, we are putting money into the hands of the scoffers. We are endorsing it. You are supporting it. Beware, we too are accountable for that. Then the charlatan. The charlatan is only interested in the Christian faith to the extent that it can fill his wallet. The charlatan is the person who uses Christianity as a means for personal enrichment. Paul charged Timothy to be on guard against his first Timothy six. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain." So the child, char- whatever that word is, is only interested in the Christian faith to the extent that it can fill his wallet. He will use his leadership position to benefit other from others well. We see this in Acts 8, Simon Magnus. We don't read this whole passage, but he was motivated by the love of money when he tried to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit. Since then, we have seen this in many forms, always seeking prominence in the church so that we can live in extravagance. How about Pope Leo the 10th? A lot of you remember Pope Leo, but Pope Leo X was the one who commissioned Johann Tetzel to go around to all the peoples, and he offered and sold these things called indulgences. And an indulgence was a a way in which you could pay a certain price to have your sins forgiven. Right? That's blasphemy. And yet that money is what was used to build St. Peter's Basilica. I'm not telling you not to go to St. Peter's Basilica. I'm just telling you that's the money it was built from was this false teaching these these people he himself also loved a luxurious lifestyle how about back even in the last few decades televangelists like robert tilton bought brought in tens of millions of dollars each year by exploiting the vulnerable and gullible how about today men like kenneth copeland you saw in these videos benny hen creflo dollar Men who those three, collective worth is in the billions. Really struggling, really struggling. And host of others who peddle the prosperity gospel to enrich themselves from their followers' gifts. God's got a very special place for people like this, and the Bible says so. How about the prophet, the false prophet? The false prophet claims to be gifted by God to speak fresh revelation outside of Scripture new authoritative words of prediction, teaching, rebuke or encouragement. In reality though, he is commissioned and empowered by Satan for the purpose of misleading and disrupting Christ's church. John offered an urgent warning about him. In 1 John 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world As brothers and sisters in Christ, we must test the spirits to determine if they originate with the Holy Spirit or with a demonic spirit. In Revelation, John will declare that God has fully has spoken fully and finally and offers the most solemn warning against any who claim to bring Revelation equal or contrary to Scripture. Revelation 22, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy, holy city, which are described in this book. The false prophet appears throughout the history of the church. We can go back and see in early century, Montanus and others who claim to speak on behalf of the Holy Spirit. In the 19th century, we see men like Joseph Smith who claims to receive the Book of Mormon from the angel Moroni, which if you drop the I would be a better pronunciation of this. Today, the airwaves are full of those speaking in the name of God through the power of the Spirit. Personal prophecies are just a phone call away. Even one of the uh, top children's author, Sarah Young, writes boldly claims that her book contains the very words of Jesus. Some of you have that book in your house. We do not, cannot make that claim. This is the words of Jesus. This is. All right? We good? (laughs) Then we have the abuser. The abuser uses his position of leadership to take advantage of other people, usually takes advantage of them to feed his own pride, though he may also desire power. Second Peter 2. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. How about Jude? Patrick, you did a lot of this this morning. Thank you. The Almost the entire book of Jude, the whopping 25 verses it is, are about false teachers. and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Peter uses that same language. a matter of fact, the same word, Master, capital M. We have one master. His name is Jesus. We need to know this. The abuser claims to tend souls, but his true interest is in ravishing bodies. He works for his own pride, his own pleasure. He does this in the name of ministry. Tragically, the history of Christian faith features countless abusers. Why don't we name a few? David Koresh, you watch that documentary, you will see over and over and over, he claimed to be the Messiah, and people followed him. He said he was the Christ. He wasn't joking. He thought he was the Messiah, and he convinced countless others. How about Jim Jones in Guyana? You know what his nickname was? The Mad Messiah. And he was able to convince hundreds of people to not only follow him, but to literally drink the juice. They followed him to death because of a false teaching. I just, uh, even after the first service, uh, Paige sent me this. I had not even saw this. But just recently, they just showed in the last week or so, uh, there's a Kenyan televangelist who convinced all these people uh, to, to fast unto death. And they've discovered over 200 bodies to death of all of these people who are just following this guy because he has convinced them that if they just literally stop eating and drinking, they'll see Jesus faster. And they're following him. And this has been, this is, this is a a worldwide thing. And they're, they're speculating they may have to find up to 800 graves of people who followed these men. They are abusers of the gospel. They are in it for themselves. And we need to know how to recognize those people. Then we have the divider. The divider will use false doctrine to disrupt or destroy a church. He gleefully divides brother from brother and sister from sister. Again, Jude 1:18. In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The divider is devoid of the Holy Spirit, whose very first fruit is love, and whose special work is to bind believers together. The false teacher brings strife, not love. He generates factions, not unity. He desires discord, not harmony. Congregations and denominations have been often splintered by the divider and his lies. He sometimes makes a minor doctrine into the mark of Christian maturity, causing factions to arise within the body. He may slyly introduce unbiblical doctrines or he may undermine the ordained leadership. He does it all for the perverse satisfaction that comes with destruction. How about the tickler? And this isn't the uh, tickle me, Oma. The tickler is the false teacher who cares nothing for what God wants and everything for what men want. I hope you figured out by this point, I'm not real concerned about what you think about me. I'm very, very much concerned about what you think about my Savior and the way in which we live our lives. I don't have to answer to any of you, ultimately. I do have to stand before Jesus. Newsflash, so do you. We all stand before Jesus one day and give an account. We don't have time to be making men happy. This is the man pleaser rather than the God pleaser. Paul thought of him as the ear tickler. Second Timothy, notice Paul is writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus His last words in chapter 4, these are among some of the last lines he will ever write to his young son in the faith. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Sound familiar? We've got them all around. The tickler creates popularity and praise in the world. To maintain his followers' respect, he preaches only the parts of the Bible they deem acceptable. Therefore, he speaks much of happiness, but little of sin, much of heaven, but nothing of hell. He gives them only what they want to hear. He preaches a partial gospel, which is no gospel at all. The tickler is as old as the church itself. In the 19th century, he was Henry Ward Beecher. In the 20th, he was Norman Vincent Peale and Robert Schuller. That one just hurt someone here. Today, he is Joel Osteen, who is preaching an empty gospel, devoid of the very words of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah faced this. False prophets, one after the other, proclaiming to be the one who was speaking for God. God dealt with him. Elijah dealt with the prophets of Baal. They ultimately were all killed. Last, the speculator. The speculator is the one obsessed with novelty, originality, or speculation. Hebrews 13 says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Teaching focused on speculation displaces the sure and steady doctrine of scripture. That's why we walk through the books of the Bible, predominantly because I'm not smart enough to do anything differently. But if I just simply want to pull some verses out and give you some kind of topical sermon, I can prepare on Sunday morning for that. If we're going to preach the entirety of God's word and the entirety of his counsel, it takes a lot more effort. That's what I love when our elders get to preach and they understand the time that it takes to to understand scripture. Scripture is the greatest commentary for scripture. You have to understand, we can't unhitch from the Old Testament amen Amen. when Paul is writing his letters and he constantly speaks of Scripture the Word of God he's speaking of the Old Testament the New Testament canon had not been brought together by that point he's still writing a third of it the Gospels had not all been written and and brought together by God's Spirit the Old and the New Testament The law is a delight, says the psalmist. The speculator tosses aside the bulk of the Bible's content and the weight of the Bible's emphasis in order to obsess about matters that are trivial or novel. He grows weary of the old truths and pursues respectability through originality. Today, as in every age, the speculator may be one who simply obsesses about the end times. Somehow has failed his failed predictions to him, dissuade neither himself nor his followers. We have recently seen this play out. Sometimes he plants himself in academia where one of his recent masterpieces is a reimagined God who is unable to see and know the future. Well, did Paul label the speculator a contradictory, irreverent babbler in first Timothy six? O Timothy. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely God, a falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Think about books that have come out. The shack, the Da Vinci Code. They are false, heretical teachings. You know how, remember the craze for the Da Vinci Code? You know how many people read the shack? and I'm not talking about Shaquille O'Neal's biography. I wish that was what you had read. The shack is a false teaching straight from hell. God deserves way better for us. You wanna know who God is? Read his word. Get in his word and let his word get in you. Last wolves are experts at deceit. Jesus, beware of false prophets. And this is, he says, how you recognize them, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. You want to talk about trees when they get diseased? Go have lunch with Trent. Because when trees start to get diseased, You know what you do you cut them out they're burned they're destroyed because you don't allow a few diseased trees or however many may be to affect them all you have to root them out we've got to call them out a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, says, I wish you would be, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge." Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things." And he continues a few verses later. He says, and what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, And no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So real quick, you see who they are. What do we do? Well, the Bible is clear. Jesus says, beware, watch out, be alert. We must examine those that we listen to and the lens in which we are to examine them by is God's word. It is difficult. We are in a spiritual battle. We do never, we never cease to be in a spiritual battle. And when we get weary, when we get busy, when we get distracted, when we are not alert, that's when we are so easily swayed. It's like when you get tired and you're not awake at the wheel. Two, we need to know the real and you'll know the fake. God's word is clear. We will know by their fruits. We ourselves will be examined by our fruits. Not how many followers they have because they will achieve followers. And the enemy will work to increase their followers. But they'll be known by the fruit that exists in their own lives. Are we known by our fruit? Are we sharing the gospel? Are we pointing others to forgiveness and freedom that only we can find through Christ Jesus and Lord? Who do we say Jesus is? What do we believe about the authority of God's word? We have to know the real in order to know the fake. We must know God's word, and then we'll know when it's being twisted and manipulated. In the average church in America today, the average pastor, as we've seen, can make up a lot of stuff and people will believe it. Read 2nd Habakkuk, you'll find it in there. Gotta test it. Sometimes deception may be hidden well, manipulated and cunning for the Bible makes clear that Satan is a great deceiver. That's his name the great deceiver. Lean in close to God. Spend time in his presence. Pray. Listen to his word. Stay close to Christ. We need to trust the discernment and wisdom of God's spirit living through your life. If God's spirit is in you, he will reveal to you false teachings. You will be like, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's in there. False prophets, it says in Matthew 24, will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And John says, when the spirit of truth, being Christ, comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit guides us in truth. It works as a restraining agent as well, keeping us. And we need to surround ourselves with other believers you know and trust. You know when the wolf most often attacks is when you're alone. If you ever see a wolf in the wild, you will seldomly ever see a wolf attack a group. They will wait till one is separated. The one that is sick, the one that is not focused, the weak, the young, and he will attack. And wolves never attack alone. They bring others with them. They are packed mentality. Surround yourself with other believers. We need brothers and sisters in Christ. We need those who will be honest and speak to us when there are issues in our lives that are not in accord with God's word. We need to stand and fight. Last word from Paul to Timothy. This is some of his last words. Speaking to Timothy, he says, do your best to come to me soon. For deem us in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Thichias I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. These are the very words that God's spirit had inspired Paul to write on. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, shortly after this, Paul's beheaded. He's beheaded because of his faith in Christ. It's not going to keep us from going through sufferings. But wouldn't you rather suffer knowing Christ is beside you? And if you are not facing any persecution, you're probably not doing anything for the Lord if there is not some level of, of anguish or some kind of angst about you, if there's not some level that the enemy is working to, to destroy you, you're probably doing nothing for him, for the kingdom. When we stand in the truth of God's word, when we stand for Jesus Christ, you and I will face opposition. We will. But Christ has paid the price and he stands there with us. But for you and I today, the only way this ever takes root is if we have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ that can only come about by faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone. You can't earn it. You can't do anything for God to love you more, to love you less. We come to him in faith. It's the same word we get in Greek for the word believe. We must place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not in anything or anyone else. But when Jesus Christ comes into our life. And by the way, we don't accept Him. He accepts you and I. Because if you accept Him, that means you're having part of your salvation. And that's contrary to God's Word. Be careful what words we use. Because sometimes unknowingly, we will say things that are not scriptural. He accepts us. We Are not looking for God God calls us to himself but you have to come by faith you have to trust that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that he died on the cross for your sins in your place and if you trust Jesus Christ alone for your salvation the Bible says you will be saved so we're gonna get ready have a closing song and then brother Bill is gonna come up here and lead us in air time of Lord's Supper but you know what the Lord's Supper is an invitation to come have dinner with our king. You don't get an invitation unless you're one of his. So if you've never trusted Christ alone as your Lord and Savior, by faith alone, that's how you get invited to this dinner party, is through Christ alone. Father, we thank you for your precious word, God, that you reveal to us so often those that we should steer away from that, God, your spirit is continually at work in the life of the believer, guiding us, drawing us, strengthening us, convicting us, challenging us, walking with us, Father, that, that we would stay on the narrow road. God, the narrow road is hard. It's difficult. But, God, it is with your son Jesus that we walk that road. The broad road has many And we will enjoy that road, but that road will lead us straight to destruction. For you are not on that road. That is the road of this world. So Father, we pray that this morning as you speak to us through your word, through your spirit, as we proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, Father, that God, you will be glorified. And Father, that today, you would draw men and women to yourself, Father, that it is only by the work of your spirit that people can come to faith. You must draw us to yourself. You start the work and you complete the work. So, Father, we pray that you would be lifted high, glorified in all we say and do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.